This is Cybok, the cybersecurity body of knowledge, distilling the knowledge from internationally recognized experts and providing foundational education and training for the cybersecurity sector. Hello and welcome to Cybok. I'm Dave Bittner from the Cyberwire. Joining us today is Dieter Gollmann. He's a professor for security in distributed applications at Hamburg University of Technology. He's author of the Authentication, Authorization, and Accountability Knowledge Area. Authorization is about um, how to set rules on accessing uh, sensitive resources. Authentication is about verifying facts about who is requesting access, uh, which type of software is requesting access, and the like. And accountability has quite a bit to do with logging what has happened. I see. Well, let's go through each of them one at a time. Why don't we start with authorization? Can, can you take us through what's involved here? The chapter starts off with... Uh, Fundamental concepts uh, that uh, prepare a pattern to talk about um, AIA, terms like principal, subject, um, access request, and the like. Then takes um, somewhat historic uh, route um, through authorization starting 1970s with um, discretionary mandatory access control moves on to role-based access control and eventually to more modern topics like uh, usage control, digital rights management, um, access control as one finds it today on smartphones and the like. Well, let's go into some of the details here. Can you walk us through what, what is some of the history that led us to where we are today? Once upon a time, there were mainframes. <laughs> um, multi-user systems and the purpose was of access control was to give access um, only to data one was owning oneself in military context with classified data only data your clearance level entitled you to do with uh, role-based access control the story moves to commercial settings that um, ideally, theoretically, an organization would have well-defined roles and what you're allowed to do on the IT system would depend on the role assigned to you. Fact to interrupt this presentation. In practice, um, this doesn't work as nicely as in textbooks. Um, there are too many exceptions that um, make it quite uh, likely that the number of different roles is about the same magnitude as the number of people in an organization. Uh, with digital rights management, um, there was a major shift in thinking it is not you, the system owner, who needs protection from the bad outsiders. It's you who want to display content from others, and they want to protect their content from you. 
music, video games, hmm. how to prevent uh, that uh, their content gets copied, redistributed. Um, what would this do to their business model? With smartphones, no longer multi-user systems conceptually. So it is not about uh, keeping people separated. It's about um, restricting apps. So the principle of access control, to go back to this jargon, becomes the app. Interesting in today's world, on a smartphone, there are permissions that have to do with privacy, which you, as the owner of a phone, uh, would authorize. There are permissions, the system, the platform needs to protect itself. That is then up to the platform to decide whom to authorize to use those permissions. How much uh, these days are we living with the, the legacy, for better or for worse, of, of how things were originally conceived for those mainframes? Maybe deep into the lower system layers, yes. But uh, the further you go up in the software stack, I would say there are increasing differences and also important differences in objectives, hmm. like privacy. Things that, that weren't necessarily a consideration back then. This is one of my arguments. If you're working in an organization, people will know about you. It's not a big issue to hide from your own company what you're doing in the company. If I'm in the internet, I have a much uh, stronger incentive um, not to reveal to too many parties what I'm interested in. Are those two realities, those, those two desires in tension with each other? With a, I guess I'm imagining, for example, a mobile device that could be used in both a professional situation and a personal situation. From the designer's point of view, it could be challenging to please two masters. It is challenging to please two masters. Yes. And you see this in the world of mobile phones in the discussions about routing devices. Hmm. Is my device my device? Personally, I would not count myself um, as such a technical expert to want to do it, but there certainly will be people who have the expertise, who want to improve security, who want to take full control of their systems. And uh, that means taking control away from the platform. And if you look then further at current discussions on using smartphones in banking applications and the like, um, bank will get nervous if you have rooted your own device because then they do no longer know what you are running on your device and the question of uh, who is to blame if something goes wrong gets uh, more difficult to sort out. So they might insist that uh, you use an unrooted device and then interfere with the way I'm using my own phone. Mm -hmm. There is a tension. Mm. 
Let's talk about authentication and, and the, the options that we find ourselves with these days and uh, the pros and cons of those. Once upon a time, authentication meant very specifically user authentication. Once upon a time, user authentication was done by password, shared secret. This is a long story of many complaints about insecurity and how to improve things. There are rules of thumb about uh, password strength, frequency of changing passwords, which um, have little scientific basis. Mm. And there were quite interesting uh, recommendations from NIST, National Institute of Standards and Technology, United States, that um, were very different from what we're being used to. Like, uh, do not change your password without a reason. <laughs> like, it might become more sensible to display the password when you're typing it in. Because we want you to use longer passwords, not necessarily more complex passwords. And mistyping passwords is awkward uh, because it slows you down. And if you mistype too often, you trigger other security mechanisms. So seeing what you're typing might be reasonable. Hmm. Going back to history, once upon a time, we were talking about open space offices where people could see what you were typing. And then it made a lot of sense that someone looking over your shoulder could not see the characters entered. Today, I'm in my office, all alone, nobody's standing behind me. The only person the password is being hidden from is me, the mm -hmm. person who mm -hmm. enters it. Doesn't make sense. Hmm. What about uh, biometric uh, <laughs> ways to authenticate? What's your uh, take on that? Biometrics have the feature of being unique, but not being secrets. I've been asking this in examinations. Um, dear student, what do you think is easier? Getting my fingerprint or getting my mm. password? And um, of course, um, I might have um, provocatively put uh, a glass or a cup in front of me that I just had in my hand. And the answer is, of course, getting fingerprints would be much easier than uh, guessing, obtaining a well-designed password. So the question becomes one of how resilient is the system to fake fingers spoofed biometrics. There has been progress. There is continuing progress. I have made contacts here in Hamburg to a company working in that area. The next student has knocked on my door. She wants to do her thesis with that company on a better way of um, life detection for fingers. This also tells you, in a remote setting, biometrics are not very strong. How do you know that it is a real finger that is being applied? Is the notion then that um, any one method of authentication is inadequate, that we, we have to have some depth here? So, inadequate would be much too strong. Each method has its limitation. A story I have to get rid of 
regards to biometrics a um, year or two ago in the news. Um, a plane that had an unscheduled landing, husband and wife, and husband asleep. The wife had used his finger to unlock his phone and she found out about an affair. Hmm. So, biometrics are useful for giving access to your own device more conveniently than um, typing in a password. Biometrics might already be of doubtful value if uh, you want to do something sensitive afterwards because of the issue I've just uh, described. Um, fake fingers might be applied. You might be forced uh, to put your hand on something and the like. So one of the current fashions is to ask for two-factor authentication like... Um, Maybe username and biometric, bi sorry, maybe password and biometrics, maybe possession of a device, which is the third variant of user authentication. You're giving an authentication device which you use during the process. Um, maybe you get a challenge, type it in on the device, it displays a response, you enter the response on the website um, and that proves to the website that you are in possession of that device. So, as you were alluding to, better security combination of more than one technology. Well, let's move on and discuss uh, the accountability area here. What, what are you addressing with that one? This is admittedly the shortest of the sections in this chapter. It is about logging security-relevant events. It is about um, setting policies for what to log. It is about methods for logging. So there is a slightish pointer to distributed logs, blockchain, uh, distributed ledger technology as something that might in some situations be relevant in this setting. There are discussions about um, privacy because what is being logged might be sensitive. So that might imply more protection to the log. But beyond that, um, accountability is about um, organized sense. And I think the book then has other chapters that might go deeper into questions like attribution, notorious difficult issue, can you trace an event back far enough to be sure where it comes from. So what are the, the take-homes for this publication? What are the things that you hope someone who's read it uh, brings away with them? There are some fundamental principles that um, hardly change over time. There is a certain amount of fashion that after a few years, new terms have to be invented uh, without um, the underlying issues really have changed, having changed. There is a story in AAA about the user getting less important 
for access control, authentication, authorization, and software is becoming more important. Is uh, this piece of software allowed to do something on my machine? They started uh, with the Java security model in the later part of the 1990s, Microsoft's.net. One of the messages is uh, don't be too narrow in your mind and take this always as involving a human user that needs to be authenticated in person. About uh, user authentication, keep track of uh, good advice on passwords. I did like the NIST guidelines. Uh, They reflect uh, changes in the way we're using the IT infrastructure. Going back to my world of mainframes, once upon a time, you had one account on your one mainframe at work. Then it's easy to remember one password. If you have a fairly large number of accounts at different sites, then it becomes awkward. You cannot remember that many passwords. You might reuse passwords. Your password might not be compromised at your end, but at some other end. People who have obtained one password for you might then try it out on different sites. So that has... um, influence on the way one should look, one should analyze the security of these authentication schemes. With biometrics, behavioral patterns uh, for user authentication, the way you type, the way you swipe, convenient, but I have not seen the strong security analysis yet might be useful for some ongoing authentication once you have quote-unquote properly logged in and once in a while refresh authentication or the system refreshes your authentication by looking at the way you're typing. But uh, reading too much into this can be dangerous. You do at some stage something differently. And then the stupid system gets agitated. Uh, You are no longer who you seem to be. I have uh, complaints with some of the websites that told me (laughs) that uh, something is attacking me because I fly from Singapore to Madagascar. And suddenly the IP address is none they recognize as uh, coming from a country they seem think plausible. Mm -hmm. And I know it's plausible because I know where I am. <laughs> right, right. Um, but that's one of the frustrations, isn't it? This balance between uh, security and usability. It is um, sometimes annoying. Um, there's also, it would be nice, let's put it that way. It would be nice if those system had some feedback mechanism where after I have changed my password as requested, I could tell them, look, friends, this was quite normal. There was no attack. It was me. Update your artificial intelligence so that it is uh, wiser next time round. So, and mm. also what I was talking about before, this uh, ongoing, um, less uh, onerous type of authentication. Yes, it has its uh, use. But uh, 
don't read too much into it. That's Dieter Goleman. To learn more about the Cybok project and the knowledge area we spoke about today, visit cybok.org. This podcast is a product of the University of Bristol. Cybok is funded by the UK National Cybersecurity Program and led by the University of Bristol's Professor Awais Rashid, along with Professor Andrew Martin, Professor George Denisis, Professor Emil Lupu, Professor Steve Schneider, and Dr. Howard Shivers. The Cybok podcast is produced by The Cyberwire with coordinating producers Jennifer Iben, Kelsey Bond, and Bristol University's Yvonne Rigby. The executive producer is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.